Hello, I'm Monsignor Matthew Midas from St. Angela Marisi Parish in Florissant, Missouri. Today we're going to talk about the last of the three sacraments of initiation, the Holy Eucharist itself. Let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit, come and enlighten us that the words we say today may be the truth that you provide for us. May it touch our hearts and minds and lead us to a greater love of you and of the blessed sacrament itself. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Much of what we believe about the Eucharist comes from the sixth chapter of St. John's Gospel. It's the longest speech that Jesus gives on any single subject. It's his great discourse on the bread of life. Let's talk about this. It begins with the story of Jesus multiplying loaves and fishes. Now, what's interesting about this story is that it's one of the few episodes in Jesus' life that is mentioned in all four Gospels. The Passion, of course, would be a big one, uh, but not Jesus' birth. And a lot of things you would have thought, the Transfiguration, that's only in three Gospels. But the story of Jesus multiplying loaves and fishes is found in all four. And we understand the reason behind that is because it's so vitally important to our understanding of the Eucharist and our lives as Catholics, therefore. But it begins with Jesus taking five barley loaves and a couple of fish, and he blesses them, and he distributes them, and feeds multitudes of people. We understand that by doing this, he's uh, showing us that he is the Messiah. He reduplicates one of the miracles of the prophets of old. But something more than that, he's going to give us a special kind of a bread. Notice, if you will, that every time this story is told, there's one detail the gospel writers always mention, and that is Jesus insisted that all the fragments left over be gathered up, that nothing would go to waste. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. But after multiplying the loaves and the fishes, uh, again, in all four gospels, it's, they have the story of Jesus walking on the water. Now, this is a very special kind of miracle because it's something that they believe only God can do. When Jesus multiplied loaves and fishes or made the deaf hear or the blind see, he was basically showing the people that he was the Messiah. Remember when John the Baptist was in prison, he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah? And Jesus said, well, go tell John what you see. Don't the blind see and the deaf hear, the cripples walk? Well, yeah. Isn't this what you expected would happen when the Messiah came? Well, yeah, well, there's your answer, okay? So when he does those things, he's showing us he's the Messiah, but walking on water, that's something only God can do. And when he does that, he's showing us he has power over nature itself, for he is the author of nature. And this is significant because he's going to give us a kind of bread that is not just natural, it is supernatural. And because of this, that's our faith in what the Eucharist actually is. Well, back to St. John's Gospel. So Jesus multiplies the loaves and fishes. He walks on the water. And he makes it to the other side of the lake where the people are waiting for him. They had just gotten a free breakfast. Now they want a free lunch. And so Jesus asks them, you know, well, what are you here for? Well, we want, you know, we want bread. And he said, well, you shouldn't be looking for the kind of bread that perishes. I can give you a kind of bread that once you've eaten it, you will live forever. And they said, well, gee, we'd, we'd love to have that. I mean, uh, our ancestors had manna. Can you top that? Can you do, give, give us something on that order? 
And Jesus said, look, it wasn't Moses that gave your father his bread. It was my heavenly father. And he gives you the real heavenly bread. Because let's face it, the people who ate the manna all died. And they've been dead for 3,000 years. But I'll give you a kind of bread that you eat it. We will live forever. And they said, bring it on. And he said, me, I am the bread of life. Now let's backtrack a little bit. Again, this is St. John's Gospel, sixth chapter. Three chapters earlier, we talked about this, we talked about baptism. Jesus has an encounter with Nicodemus. And he tells Nicodemus, you've got to be born a second time. And like everybody in St. John's Gospel, Nicodemus takes Jesus ultra-literally. And he says, wait a minute, I'm an old man, my mother is dead. How can I possibly climb back in her womb and come out again, born a second time? What are you talking about? And Jesus said, yeah, no, 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 I, you took me too literally. I didn't mean an actual physical rebirth. I meant a spiritual rebirth, to be, to be begotten of water and spirit. Oh, okay. So, so Nicodemus challenged Jesus with the literal understanding of what he said. And Jesus said, no, I didn't mean it literally. You, you know, don't take me that literally. Now, the same thing's happening here. He says, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood because my flesh is real food and my blood real drink. I am this bread of life. And they said, wait a minute, <laughs> you, you, you can't mean that. You cannot mean exactly what you said. Now, again, with Nicodemus, Jesus backed down and said, yeah, I, I didn't mean it literally. But here he doesn't back down. He doubles down. That's exactly what I meant. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. But he who feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has life everlasting, and I will raise him on the last day. And the key people kept protesting. No, you can't mean that. You cannot be serious about that. And he kept insisting. Yes, I did mean that. That's exactly what I meant. You, you got me right. Well, they all walked away from him because they just couldn't have this kind of faith. Well, St. Thomas Aquinas said of all the things that Jesus asks us to believe, probably the one that is the most difficult is that a piece of bread contains divinity, that the master and maker of universes is contained in a piece of bread and a cup of wine. Well, that's exactly what Jesus said, and that's exactly what we Catholics believe. And we believe it only because he said so. Simple, simple as that. We have no other reason to believe it than the fact that Jesus said so. Well, having said that and having watching all these people walk away, now Jesus didn't run after them and say, oh, guys, you, I took me too literally. I didn't mean it, you know. No, he let them walk away. And he turned around and looked at his apostles, and they probably had the same look of slack-jawed astonishment on their faces. And Jesus said to them, are you going to leave me too? Are you going to walk away from me as well? It's like he was willing to let even the chosen 12 walk away from him. And Peter, who's always the spokesman, I'm going to paraphrase to give you the effect of it, he says, well, Lord, wow, you know, what you just said is hard for us to believe, but look, you've been right on everything else so far, so we're going to trust you on this one. But darn, you know, this is, this is not an easy one. This is awfully hard for us to believe. And it's interesting to note, as a side note, that at this very moment, the first mention of Judas's betrayal is given. As if to say the very first crack or separation between him and Christ comes over the teaching of the real presence in the Holy Eucharist. 
Well, my brothers and sisters, that's exactly what our faith comes down to. Do we believe Jesus is truly contained in that piece of bread? We believe that he is. And this is the last of the sacraments of initiation. This is how Christ communicates his life to us after baptism to sustain us and to strengthen us. Now, I'm going to do something very special here. I'm going to explain to you the Eucharist. And the way that I use it to explain to our second graders when they, I get them ready for our first communion. Because the word we're really looking for here is the word transubstantiation. I actually use that word with the second graders. It takes them a while to get to adapt to it. But they do, you know. It's a word that every Catholic should be familiar with. Transubstantiation. It's one of those $10 Latin words. It means the thing goes from one substance to another but with this miraculous difference. Transubstantiations happen all the time. You know, a thing changes from one thing to another all the time. And we don't, it happens so often, we don't even think about it. Like for example, you put a log in the fireplace and set it on fire, well, it turns into ash. It's gone from one substance, the substance of wood, to another substance, the substance of ash. And uh, again, we're not astonished by that because it sure looks different. It was a solid piece of wood before, now it's just a pile of dirt and dust. Um, that's the, the big thing. When we talk about the transubstantiation of the Eucharist, we're talking about the very substance, the very nature, the very essence of the thing changes, but all the appearances remain exactly the same. That when you t look at the piece of bread, it still looks like bread, still smells like bread, still tastes like bread. Same thing for the cup of wine. And if you do drink a lot of it, you will become intoxicated. It still has that property. But its very essence has changed. Many years ago, Seton Hall University used to have a special program in the summer for priests, and I was privileged to go to that every year. And met some very interesting people. One was a priest named Father Charlie McTeague. He was a uh, priest of the Diocese of Newark, I believe, in New Jersey. Very interesting man. Uh, it was quite the character, and um, I remember he told this story about how when he was first ordained in the 50s, he was assigned to a parish in Princeton, New Jersey, where there was a famous university and a famous professor, Dr. Albert Einstein, who taught there. Well, this was the 50s, and this was, you know, the age of the atom bomb and the Cold War and all that, and a lot of people were concerned about atomic energy, as was Father McTeague. So he decided, and you have to know this guy, he's just the kind of guy he is, he was going to talk to Einstein about nuclear energy. So he goes to Einstein's you know, apartment, knocks on the door, and Einstein's secretary answers the door and says, you know, do, can I help you? He said, I'd like to see Professor Einstein. Who may I say is calling? This is Father McTeague. Oh, so she closes the door, and five minutes later, Einstein himself comes bounding down the stairs, eager to meet him. So he takes him into his study, sits him in his own chair. And uh, whereas McTeague had gone there to talk to Einstein about nuclear energy, Einstein wanted to ask Father McTeague about the real presence, the transubstantiation of the Eucharist. He had gone to Catholic school in Austria, even though he was a Jew, and so he was familiar with it. And the really intriguing thing is that Einstein, <laughs> the great physicist, thought that somehow on the subatomic level this could happen that the actual substance could change while the appearances, the, what we call in philosophy, the accidents, all remain the same. My goodness. 
Well, Einstein asked McTeague for a bunch of books in German about the Holy Eucharist, and I think he provided them, but he died shortly after that, Einstein did, and uh, we never <laughs> saw the conclusion of that. But I thought that was very interesting, how a man like Einstein, a true scientist, thought it was not beyond the realm of possibility. This could actually happen. Very interesting. But back to, but really it's, it's a matter of faith. I mean, it's really not a matter of science. It's a matter of faith. And that's where we have to keep it on that level. But I thought that was an interesting sidebar. When I explain this to the second graders, I usually go in and I begin by asking the question, can God tell a lie? Oh, no, God cannot tell a lie. Well, that's right. Okay, well, very good. And so I asked them, can I tell a lie? And they said, yes, you can really <laughs> go. I got to teach these kids better, you know. But anyway, okay, so I can tell a lie. So I said, if I were to tell you that all grass is purple, would that be a lie? And they say, well, yeah, because yeah, they know that not all grass is purple. There's a whole bunch of grass that's green. There might be purple grass somewhere. But, you know, for most of the grass we encounter is green. So if I said all grass was purple, that would certainly be a lie. Okay. So I, then I said, well, what if Jesus said all grass was purple? Would that have been a lie? And they go, oh, oh. Because they know all grass isn't purple. And if Jesus said that, it wouldn't be true. But, but Jesus can't tell a lie. So they're really kind of a flummox there and a bit of a quandary. And so uh, I asked them, well, well, how do you do this? You know, is, would it be a lie? Well, yeah. Well, no. Well, yeah. Well, no, it wouldn't be a lie. Well, is grass purple? Well, no. Then it would be a lie. Wouldn't it? Well, I guess, you know. So finally, usually, and usually it's a little girl, raises her hand and says, Father, if Jesus said all the grass, uh, all grass was purple, then all the grass in the world would turn purple. And I said, yes, you're absolutely right. Jesus cannot tell a lie, so if he said all grass was purple, then every blade of grass in the world would turn purple. That's exactly what would happen. Well, the truth is that Jesus never said all grass was purple. However, at its proper time, he did take a piece of bread. This was at the Last Supper, of course. He looked at that piece of bread and said, take and eat, for this is my body. So what do you think happened to that piece of bread when he said, this is my body? Obviously, he didn't grow arms and legs. It didn't grow hair and a beard and feet and what have you. But it somehow became Jesus' body. And that's the mystery, what we call transubstantiation. Again, the only reason why we believe this is because Jesus said it. But because he did say it, we do believe it. I mean, what are you going to do, call Jesus a liar? Say that he's not right, that he got it wrong? No. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was saying. And we understand, and this is why, getting back to the story, the multiplication of loaves and fishes, why Jesus was such a stickler for gathering up all the fragments that were left over. Because what we have when we come to Mass is nothing less than the leftovers, if you will, of the Last Supper. That by multiplying those loaves and fishes and promising to give us a kind of bread that once we eat it, we will live forever, Jesus was saying that we will never run out of this. As long as the church needs the Eucharist, the Eucharist will be there for us. And that's pretty much the point of that. Well, we're getting back to the second graders. Um, after I explained that to them in that way, I, I have a special thing I do with them. You know, many years ago when I was an associate pastor, I used to think, 
You know, there's an awful lot of things that Jesus said and images that Jesus used that were very common and very familiar to the people he was talking to back in the first century, but are pretty much lost on us here in the 21st century. One of the things was a flock of sheep, and the other of the things was a vineyard. Uh, how many people have vineyards? Well, not many. How many people have sheep? Well, even fewer. But these are things that Jesus talks about when he calls himself the Good Shepherd. The people knew exactly what he was talking about when he said, My sheep hear my voice. They knew precisely what it meant. And so I always used to think that would I ever get to be a pastor of a parish, if the church ever gives me one, a parish, I'm going to get a flock of sheep and plant a vineyard. Well, I've kind of fudged on the sheep. I, I'm still working on that one. But I did plant a vineyard. And so I got a series of grapevines down by the rectory. And I uh, asked the second graders to come down and see the vineyard because Jesus had a very important lesson and is connected to the Eucharist. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Connected to me, you live, not just live, you thrive. Connected to me, you live and thrive and you bear fruit. So I take them down to the vineyard and I show, and usually this is in late April, right before their first communion, and so there's little bitty baby clusters of grapes starting to grow on the vine. And I show them this is the vine, and these are the branches coming off of it. You see how they're all connected. You can see how these branches have beautiful green leaves and how these branches also have little clusters of baby grapes growing on them. Okay. And I explained that Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, that, you know, that we connected to Jesus, we live, and we produce much fruit. And so I take a scissors or a knife or something, and I cut off one of the branches, and I say, now, what do you think is going to happen to this branch? Well, so we'll probably shrivel up. Well, let's just, just see. So they take it back to their classroom, and sure enough, a week later, I'll be on the parking lot for the recess, you know, and the kids come up and say, hey, Father, that branch you cut, it shrivel up and died. Oh, really? I'll be darned. Imagine that, how that could happen. Well, the whole idea behind that is that the reason why the branches live and grow and produce fruit is because they're connected to the vine, and the vine feeds these branches with its own substance, grapeness, if you will. And because the vine does this, they live. Cut off, they shrivel up and die. Jesus says that's the same thing with you and me. You stay connected to me, you will grow, you will live, you will thrive, cut off from me, excommunicated, if you will, you shrivel up and die. Jesus said, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you are the deadest of the dead. You have no life within you. But he who feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has life everlasting. That's why we call the Eucharist Holy Communion. The word communion means being one together. It's something that we share, realizing that this is Christ communicating his very life to us, he being the vine, we being the branches. And as the vine use, feeds the branches with its own substance, so Christ feeds us with his own substance, which is why the Eucharist has to be his body and blood, because if it weren't, he would not be the vine, we would not be the branches, and none of the stuff would actually work. But it's a very important concept. It's something that we, uh, and it's like, and this is why it's the ca sacrament of initiation. Because again, you're not really fully Catholic until you receive all three of these sacraments. And receiving the Holy Eucharist for the first time and many times, all through your life, that's life that you received in baptism, 
is nourished, the faith you have received and gifts of the Spirit and confirmation are made stronger, and you're able to live your life as a faithful Catholic. Is it possible to get to heaven never receiving communion? Well, you know, I suppose if you died right after baptism, but who dies right after baptism? Uh, very few people do, you know. There might be a little baby every now and then. But in practical terms, these sacraments for, are for us to live our lives, however, however many years God gives us, faithfully as Catholics in this world. Over the centuries, the Church has come up with many terms to describe the Holy Eucharist. One of the words itself is Eucharist. It's a very interesting word. I remember years ago, uh, I made a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, and um, we were in this town, we are the Sunday night, and we arrived in this town. I have no idea where this town was. It wasn't on any maps. And uh, one of the priests who was with us on the pilgrimage was a real blithe spirit, I'll put it that way, a man <laughs> full of adventure. And I remember we got off the bus. We had no idea where we were. We could see the lights of a town off in the distance. And this guy says, let's go see a movie. And I'm going, wait a minute, a movie? Where are you talking about? Well, I was a young man, so I said, okay, I'm in. So I, we went, and sure enough, we found a movie theater. Sure enough, um, it was an old John Wayne movie. And every time the, uh, uh, one of the characters on the screen spoke, there were like seven different levels of subtitles that showed up. Of course, we heard it in English, because it was in English, but all these different, Arabic, French, Hebrew, Greek, you know, everything. Well, I read Greek a little bit, and I remember there was one scene where somebody does something for the Duke, and he answers by saying, as only the Duke can, thanks. Well, sure enough, the Greek word Eucharisto appeared at the bottom. <laughs> and I thought, well, okay. I'd always heard that Eucharisto, Eucharist, means thank you. And now I see it confirmed on the silver screen here in front of me. Yeah, it means thank you. This is the way we Catholics give thanks back to God for what he's given us. Um, you know, there's that story of the uh, ten lepers, how they came to Jesus for healing. And he made all the ten of them clean. But only one came back and said thank you. Now, if I were Jesus, I would have made those other nine guys lepers again because of their ingratitude, but he didn't really need to do anything bad to these people because they had already made themselves something worse than lepers by being ingrates, by their ungratefulness. We understand that the best way we, poss we can give thanks to God for all he's given us is by celebrating the Eucharist and receiving the Blessed Sacrament. This is the sacrifice that he commanded. This is what he wants us to do. And so we have always been privileged to call the Holy Eucharist the Holy Eucharist, meaning that it is our way of saying thank you. We speak of the real presence. Now this is an interesting term, because the word real doesn't mean exactly what people think it means. It comes from two Latin words, res, alia. You put the two together, it becomes realis or in Latin, English, or in English, it's real. Res alia means the other thing, something else. You look at the Eucharist, it looks like bread, sure. Tastes like bread, absolutely. But it isn't bread. It's actually something else. What it seems to be, it is not. There's something there that can only be perceived through faith. Not by the senses. The senses will deceive us, like in many things, which is why St. Paul says we walk by faith and not by sight.
because faith in our, empowers us to see Christ when that bread is, at the Eucharist is held up. We say, behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. With human eyes, it looks like a piece of bread. But with the eyes of faith, we know it's something else. And so we refer to it as the real presence. We also call that the Blessed Sacrament, and that's a very important designation. Because of all the sacraments, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas called the Eucharist the queen of all the sacraments. As I said in the very beginning, uh, all the sacraments make Christ physically present. They actually pre uh, fulfill his promise, his last promise, to be with us always till the end of the age. But that presence of Christ is no more powerfully localized and, and present, really, than in the Blessed Sacrament, which is why we expose it for adoration. Uh, my parish, this is a Tuesday and all day, my parish parishioners are coming and going to spend time with the Lord in holy, in holy dialogue, in his presence, in the Blessed Sacrament. This is why we have Eucharistic adoration, which is why it's, so, it's such an important thing, and why how many, how a lot of people's lives have been changed for the good by coming and spending time with our Savior in the sacrament of his body and blood, for he is truly present there. You know, it's been my privilege over the 41 years that I've been a priest now to instruct many converts in the faith. And I don't hear this all the time, but I hear it an awful lot. That people tell me that when the first time they ever walked into a Catholic church, there was a presence there that they felt. A presence that they just don't get in a Protestant church, no matter how beautiful the architecture, no matter how beautiful the setting. There was something really present there. There's a wonderful story uh, years ago, not too long ago, there was a young man up in the, I guess in the Diocese of, of New York. He was in the seminary, came down with a really serious case of cancer. And um, it went into remission for a while, but it came back with a great vengeance. And uh, it was obvious the young man was going to die, but he was still several years from actually being ordained. And so, um, but he wanted to die a priest. So he asked for a very special dispensation, and sure enough, Pope John Paul, St. John Paul II, provided that. And in the hour of his death, he was literally ordained a priest and a deacon on the couch in his, in his um, mother and father's living room. And the only priestly act he ever performed was the blessing that he gave to them. Uh, then he died. Very, very sad, very tragic. But the man who was his attending physician uh, was there in the house when he passed. And he was a Hindu, a man who was from India. And he you know, gave his condolences to the mother and the father. And as he was leaving the front door, going out the steps, he got halfway down the sidewalk. And he turned around and came back. And he said to them, um, please forgive me, I don't mean to offend, I'm, I'm not a Catholic, I'm not a Christian even, I'm, I'm a Hindu, and I don't understand all these things, and I don't mean to give offense to saying this, but I want you to know that Jesus Christ is in this room, that Jesus Christ is here. I don't know how I know it, but I know it, that Jesus Christ was here. Well, that's true for all the sacraments, but especially for the Holy Eucharist. There's all kinds of stories of people who go into a place where they had Eucharistic adoration, 
and all of a not and not even having a clue as to what it was, but all of a sudden their lives were absolutely changed. My brothers and sisters, such is the power of this blessed sacrament, of this holy Eucharist, of this holy communion, this thing that we share that makes us one, that's the sign of our being one. And that's the other thing, you know, we don't pass this out indiscriminately. We don't give communion to people who don't share our faith. You know, Jesus in one of the scriptures, Gospels says, you don't cast your pearls before swine, you don't give what is holy to dogs. Very powerful language, you know, very insulting, I guess, on some level. But like everything Jesus said, it was deliberate. And he said, you just don't, and we always understood that it meant the holy sacraments. We just don't give these things out to people who don't believe. You have to have faith, because without the faith, it's not going to work anyway. The, the presence is real, the power is there, but like everything else, there's got to be a faith to actuate it. If the faith isn't there, then the gift that is given is just not, you know, produce any kind of a fruit. My brothers and sisters, the Holy Eucharist is the very center and core of our lives as Catholics. That's why it's an obligation, a very serious obligation, to attend Mass every Sunday if you possibly can. Um, if you can't, that's a whole different story. But to just purposely absent yourself for no good reason is terrible. Understanding what is there. Because what's there on the altar is nothing less than this, that Jesus Christ, the true bread of life, whose flesh is real food and whose blood is real drink, is offering it to each one of us. How could anybody knowing that, believing that, understanding that, possibly turn away? Well, it's hard to imagine. Because the truth is that this is what the core of our Catholic faith is all about. We are a Eucharistic people in the body of Christ, for we are the body of Christ. And I thank you all for listening.